after last week's euphoric win against the Kangaroos, this week against the Cats on Easter Monday, it was a bit more of a sobering slap to the face for us Hawks supporters. Unfortunately, we didn't quite get the chocolates after a spirited first half effort. Tonight, for our six points, I am joined by Smitty, who has had the toughest job in AFL, having to write the player review. Smitty, how'd you find this week's one? Uh, three of the four weeks have been a bit of an eye-opener for me, Timmy, and uh, it's been pretty rough writing about a few individuals. You never want to uh, you know, pot anyone or put anyone down, but... Um, when you've got the the hat on as a reporter for the game, you, you do have to call it as it is. And uh, for three of the four weeks, a few of the performances have not been up to scratch. But uh, that's just where we are as a footy club at the moment. And um, I've, I truly believe that the more we stick together, the sweeter the success will be when it comes. So that's sort of how I'm playing it at the moment. Absolutely. And that's the, the one thing we can take away from it is that you've got to ride the bumps with a grin, just as the theme song says. Uh, I imagine yep. at halftime you would have been licking your lips thinking this is going to be quite a good review. Yeah, I was. I sort of had a look through the halftime stats. Um, I usually try and keep up to date with the stats and watch the game at the same time just to you know see what's matching up and what's what, what isn't matching up. And yeah, at halftime, I was giving out four stars like it was Oprah Winfrey just throwing out freebies left, right and center, mate. It was, it was great. You know, I had a lot of players tracking really well and then... Uh, as we know, and as I'll touch on shortly, which is segueing nicely to my first point, but it was just an absolute day and night game. You know, there was just two opposite teams that came out to play in the first and second half. So, um, yeah, things got flipped on its head pretty quickly. Certainly did. So for those of you who are new here, this is the six points. So we have three points each. So our three main takeaways per person from the game on the weekend. If you are new to Talking Hawks, please make sure to jump onto our socials, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Make sure to like and subscribe. We've also got our YouTube channel where on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, we'll have our live stream where we'll focus on the Easter Monday clash against the Cats before moving on to the gather round game against the Giants. We're very, very close to hitting 1,100 subscribers. So if you haven't if you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure to jump on and subscribe and follow us on YouTube. Also, while you're at it, make sure to like and follow us on your favorite podcast provider. If you take the time out of your day to give us a five-star rating and a review, we'll make sure that we read it out in full here to give you the credit that you deserve. So, Smithy, we'll give you the new ball. You can start us off with point number one. Beautiful. And I do just want to say before we start, Timmy, and I have always considered myself an optimist, and I've always considered myself as someone who sees the brighter side of life, but ever since I've met you, it's given me a perspective of maybe I'm not the ultimate optimist. And today I've put the pessimist hat on just to balance out this episode. So my first point is the Jekyll and Hyde that is the Hawks at the moment. And um, I'm referring to the first and second half efforts. And it literally was like watching a different team in the first half, you know, from the very first center bounce when uh, Noodle knocked it down into the path of Will Day, who got the clearance and Punky kicked a goal and, you know, you could just tell that the intensity was there. And for the whole first half, the pressure was great. Um, Hawthorne were, you know, pressing up to the ball and really making life difficult for the Cats. The midfield was on top. Our forward line was looking dangerous, although uh, conversion was, you know, questionable at times. There was a few easy shots of goal miss, but the main thing was we were looking dangerous and we would look like we were going to score. Um, and then after halftime, 
all of that just went flying out the window. Geelong walked the ball out of the center clearance. They scored easily. Our forward line, it, we didn't look like getting it past halfway. It was like Geelong were doing a half ground drill where they had to get it to the middle and then go straight back inside 50 because that's all that was happening. Um, so it literally was a Jekyll and Hyde sort of day for the Hawks. And, you know, you could point to different things. I honestly think part of it is just Geelong had that wake-up call that they so desperately needed. I think they went into halftime and thought, holy cow, we are 0-3 looking down the barrel of 0-4. And statistically, teams that go 0-4 do not play finals football. And this is a list that needs to be playing finals football. So I think this was the thing that just woke Geelong up. And um, the onslaught that was to come, I don't think many teams in the comp would have stopped, but... Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't make up for the fact that it was a 15 goal to one second half. And um, I've seen a lot of commentary on Twitter between Hawks fans, and it is that optimist versus pessimist. You know, you've got guys like you, Timmy, who have gone, that first half was awesome. We showed what we can do, the midfield, la da da And then you've got the negative side of the Hawks fandom that just says, nearly losing the second half by 100 points is unacceptable for an AFL side. It can't be happening. We deserve better. I'm somewhere in between. I can see both sides. I can see the positives. The first half was great to watch, but at the same time, watching your team give up 15 goals in the second half, it makes it difficult to stomach. So uh, yeah, the pure Jacqueline and Hyde is my first talking point out of this game. Yeah, really interesting in terms of that, that Jekyll and Hyde from what we saw because after halftime, as you, you noted, the, uh, the Cats came out absolutely firing and, I wonder if we can put it down. There was one moment towards the end of the second quarter where I actually think it was the turning point. And I think it was the clash between Connor Nash and Jeb Hughes. Uh, Nash, you know, put his body on the line, got split open. Up until then, had been playing a pretty good role on uh, both Blitzarves and Danger in the midfield. But I reckon after that, he, he seemed a bit off in terms of his ability to stop. And I wonder if that had something to do with it. And then from seeing, I think it was on Twitter as well, uh, our third quarters, I think we've we've scored mm. something like Holy 30 God. points or something like that in four four third quarters. So whatever they're giving the players at, at halftime, I reckon we've got to get the red frogs, the red snakes, something out <laughs> just to try and try and wake them up because yeah, the um, that effort that that we saw in in that second half was a complete parallel, complete opposite mm. to uh, to what we saw in that first half. And just quickly, not only are we not scoring in third quarters, but I'm pretty sure we've conceded about 180 points in four third quarters. It's just unheard of. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Well, I'm going to take your pessimistic view for point one. I'm going to, to swap it over to an optimistic uh, view for point two, and it was Will Day's performance. So we know that when a player signs a new contract, very, very difficult that came after for them to actually get touches. Mm. Will Day yeah. came out, 22 disposals, eight tackles, four marks. In terms of the disposals, 14 of them are contested. And when you consider that he is literally built like a rake, that in mm. itself stands out. Six score involvements, 27 yeah. pressure acts, six clearances, four inside 50s. I love the way that Will's going about it. For a guy who missed a hell of a lot of football over his first few years through injury, just the attack on the ball that he has, the ability to get into the right position, you know, making those tackles and, and sticking. And I think that was one of the big things that we probably noticed in our midfield uh, on Easter Monday was the ability to actually hit and stick in terms of those tackles. So Will Day was an absolute standout. 
He won the uh, the fan voted player of the match from Hawthorne. So that's three weeks in a row. But unfortunately, we did receive the news earlier today that he's received a two match a two match suspension uh, for his tackle, which means unfortunately for us, we're going to have to find a replacement for Will, who's been an absolute standout. And at this present time, he would be streets ahead in our Peter Crimmins medal, best and fairest. Mm. Yeah, it's. I don't want to touch on the suspension because I, it's just going to turn into a rant against Michael Christian and the uh, the whole AFL system. So I'm going to leave that one alone, uh, let that one go through the keeper. But yeah, Will Day is running away with the, um, well, my Talking Hawks player ratings MVP. Um, I think he's currently four stars ahead of second place, which is nearly a whole best on ground performance. Really awesome. Um, he's been fantastic. And the thing that's really impressed uh, me about Will Day is, is the way he works through traffic at a stoppage. It's It seems to be so you know, natural to him and something that he hasn't learned. It's just been with him the way he can step through a stoppage and find space to get a kick away is awesome. He looks so smooth. Um, and yeah, if, if we don't challenge this suspension, it's going to be a long two weeks without him. Absolutely. If you go and have a look, I think it was in the, uh, the first minute, of the second quarter, he rode a, a tackle, got his hands free and was able to handball over the top to CJ. And you just thought, wow. Like how unbelievable yeah. was that for him to be able to get the ball out, as you said, and then the uh, the first play of the day where he was onto that tap from Noodle, kicking us into the forward fifty, and and just the ability of him to be able to make it look so effortless. I think that's something that I'm absolutely yeah. loving seeing from Will. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's been really nice seeing him go into the middle, and like you said, he's missed a lot of time through injuries. So seeing him healthy has also been a big plus. Absolutely. All right, point three, Smithy. Yeah, well, Daz isn't here tonight, and we know how much he loves a terrible pun. So I've I've sort of tried to take the crown off him here. And my point two is called the key dilemma moving forward, and that is the lack of a key forward. Um, I think it really stood out in the second half. And, you know, it, it worked against North Melbourne because we played the game how we wanted it to be played. We controlled the tempo of the game, and we we played the game on our terms. We kicked the ball short and we broke a line when we were ready. The same thing happened in the first half. We controlled the ball from clearance and from stoppage, which allowed us to put ourselves in position to score. However, in that second half, when things weren't going our way, we just did not have a presence at all down the line. That is when you need someone. And I look around the competition and I look at people like Tom Lynch. I look at people like uh, Buddy Franklin, I look at people like, you know, even Rory Lobb, Jamara for the dogs. You've got Tex Walker. You know, there's plenty of them around the league where when a team's in trouble, they take a big contested mark down the line and that breaks the pattern of the game. And we just did not have that. Um, you know, I've, I really liked Lloyd Meek's effort on the weekend, but he's not a forward and he's not going to be. He's a ruckman and that's just how it is. Um Cosie didn't do anything to suggest he's ready to come back in. We're still without Mitch Lewis. And, you know, this is what is going to hurt us going forward. It's that lack of a key forward. Um, and sometimes when you're a young side, the thing you need to break the pattern is a contested mark out of nowhere. And we should not be relying on Fergus Green to be that dude because that's that's who it is at the moment. That's who is getting into the best positions down the line to take those marks. But 
you know, if Fergus Green's coming up against a Tom Stewart, we as fans cannot expect him to win that 50-50 every time. It's just unfair on him. And I feel like that is what was one of the many reasons that things really broke down on the weekend. And the worst thing is we don't have an immediate answer to this. Yeah, it'd be nice if we had a Ruckman who was able to take a big contested mark as well, similar to what Big Boy uh, was mm. able to do over his time. At yeah, North well, North. yeah. I think, yeah, Big uh, Boy's a great example. Yeah, well, you look at Noodle. I think he's taken uh, three marks or four marks over the four matches. And for a guy who stands yeah. at 211 centimetres, it'd be nice to see him clunking them, especially going down the line. I wonder if someone like a Max Lynch uh, would be someone who might be able to, to fill in that role, obviously, until Mitch Lewis comes back. Because we know we've got young Maxi Ramson. Uh, he's been yeah. you know, playing his trade down at Box Hill, but still looks quite green. You don't really want yeah. to throw him to the wolves just yet. So, yeah, very interesting in terms of that that key dilemma going forward for us uh, until Mitch Lewis comes back. And then even when Mitch comes back, who do we have playing that centre-half forward role, being able to help him so that we've yeah. got uh, those two targets? Yeah. it's um, Yeah, and Max Lynch, I'd love to see him get a go, but... Once again, he's not a he's not a forward. He, you know, he's a he's a ruckman by trade. That's what he's there to do. So, even expecting him to come in and play like a true centre forward, which in my opinion is probably the hardest position to play, having played it for quite a few years, it, it is really difficult. And you have to know what you're doing and where you're going. And someone who has trained all their life to become an AFL player as a ruckman, it they can't just be plugged in. So, this is a problem for the off season, whether it be the draft free agency or even both, we, we, we need to do something about this second tall forward because uh, it's not cutting it at the moment. And I don't think it will be cutting it for the rest of the season. That's uh, certainly a space for us to keep our eye on as we get mm. to uh, towards the end of the season. So October, November. All right. Yep. My, my point for Smithy, another positive, Jarman Impey. It was mm. so great to see Jars back to, you know, some of that scintillating best that we saw in, in 2019 from him before he went down with his knee injury. And then since then, he's been crippled with injuries uh, over the preseason, was given a, a position of, of leadership. A lot of people were sort of sitting there going, I wonder if he's the right person to have there. Will he even get a game? Uh, on the weekend, sorry, on Monday, 24 touches, five rebound 50s, almost that 80% disposal efficiency. He had two clearances, eight intercept possessions, but I loved in that third quarter when we were under the pump, he was one of the few backs we had who actually looked composed. He was one of the few yeah. backs who was able to get the pill, be able to take off with it, to actually look for targets, to actually be part of the game. Because in that third quarter, scrimmers went missing. And I know you are the Jack Scrimshaw number one fan hold, uh, number one ticket holder of his fan club. Yeah, CJ went missing for another second half, similar to what he did, unfortunately, against North Melbourne the week before. And Jar stood up. And I just thought that was a game where we literally saw the best of Jarman Impey. And for those people who've written him off, and I know after looking at uh, social media from the first three matches, his name was one of the first that people were throwing up as to out of the side. We don't need him in there. I think on Easter Monday, he showed he's someone we definitely need, especially if we can get that type of game from him week in and week out. Yeah, he's much maligned and it confuses me because when he got injured in 2019, he was probably top three in our best and fairest at that stage. I wasn't at the count, but just based on my opinion alone from that season, he would have been in my top three. 
And then obviously he sat out most of 2020, which was a write-off of a year anyway with the, the COVID season. In 2021, he came back and was tried as a forward, tried as a defender, you know, thrown around. And the same thing sort of last year. It's not until this year where he's had a clean run at it. He's trained as a backman. And now he's back to that form, which he showed in 2019. Um, and yeah, you're right. He was one of the players in that third quarter who actually stood tall and, um, you know, had a crack at it. As you mentioned, the, the two players you mentioned, Scrimshaw had one kick in the third quarter and CJ had three disposals in that third quarter. So you know, with the amount of ball going back there, you'd expect a bit better. But um, yeah, Jarman MP definitely was a, a shining light in this game. I, I gave him four stars in my player review. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing to remember about Jars uh, last year is when he was playing, he was playing with loose screws in his foot as well. So obviously yeah, not having yeah. them in, you know, so that certainly hampered him. So not having those screws in at the moment, you can certainly see that dash is back. And that's something that we, we certainly need coming out of that half back line, especially when we want to be using the Hawk Highway as much as possible. Yeah. And I, I've never had screws in my foot, um, but I can't imagine having loose screws in your foot would be very comfortable. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely not. All right. We'll move to our point five, Smithy. So your third point. Yeah, it's it was the inability to stop the flow in that third quarter. And I've sort of touched on a few reasons why this might be. Um, the first reason is the lack of a key forward. Um, when that ball was, you know, when we were trying to get that ball back from outside the Geelong forward 50, we just had no presence down the line. And it resulted in repeat inside 50s. And you could have the best six defenders in the competition, but if Geelong have 25 inside fifties in the third quarter, they're going to score. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. Um, the second reason I'm going to look at is the ruck. Now, if you're standing 211 centimeters, you cannot be letting the opposition ruckman get clean hit outs to advantage that lead to clearance. That is when, a run-on comes, you have to stand up in that center bounce and at least half a contest, at least half a contest because it seemed like Geelong would kick a goal, would go back to the center and Reece Stanley would do a hit out over his head to Dangerfield and bang, they were gone again. And that just makes the defenders go, oh, here we go again. Like it's coming back. It's coming back. There's no rest. There's no... And the third thing that I think we need to do is I think we need to play better situational football and our structure both at the ball and behind the ball needs to be a lot better. When a run on like this comes on, you need to make the ground as small as you possibly can. And I've played a fair bit of senior footy and I've played on a fair few bad senior footy sides. Shout out to all my ex teammates if they're listening, but we were pretty bad. And the one thing that I learned from this is when a team is getting a run on on you, you need to shrink the ground. And what I mean by this is, for example, Geelong have a ball in in their forward 50, 30 meters out from goal on the left side of the ground. All of our forwards need to squeeze to the left wing and create a bit of a, a, bit of a strip. All right, you have your, your key 40 meters from the stoppage and you have players surrounding him. The stoppage you have your Hawthorne players on the outside of their opponent and you push Geelong into the ball up, close to the ruckman as possible. Ned Reeves needs to tap the ball to his left hip and then have the midfielders converge. If you get five stoppages in a row, that is a win. 
because that's five times that Geelong cannot clear the ball and get a run on. If you get the clearance yourself, you need to make a concerted effort to get to the drop of the ball and lock it in. Every stoppage is a win in that situation. And there was just not enough slow play in that third quarter. It just seemed like everything was fast, fast, fast. Geelong just took off every chance they could. So I don't know if it's a structural thing. I don't know if it's a game sense thing. I don't know if it's an inexperienced thing. It could be a combination of all three, but I just think there needs to be a lot better leadership on field, a lot better structure around the ground to prevent these massive run-ons because in every game we have played, a team has had kicked five or more goals straight in every single game. So that just shows that we are not in a position to stop runs. And I think those few things that I spoke about from a ex-player's perspective could be a good start. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you, you look at the rucks, as you were talking about, obviously Big Noodle, 211 centimetres, and there was footage that came out uh, earlier today of uh, what Mark Blitzarves and Reece Stanley were doing in terms of creeping over that centre line and, and taking away that space so that Noodle obviously wasn't uh, able to jump. The other one that I thought was interesting is I had a look and uh, Big Meeky, 41 ruck contests he attended for seven hitouts. So mm. I wonder if, yeah, obviously not, not able to get off the ground as much uh, compared to some of the others. And you just think, is that something that maybe they need to do a bit of work on at training? Because if they can get get up and, and halve some of those contests in terms of the rucks as you were talking about, it then buys us a bit more time. And with those stoppages, you get five, six, seven stoppages in a row. There's a minute. There's a minute and a half off the clock. And all of a sudden, yeah. yep, you know, you just start eating into it that way. I think that's something that we certainly need to work on is that game sense. And hopefully this week at training, uh, that'll be something that they'll do a fair bit of work on. Yeah, uh, it's there's just got to be some sort of contingency and, and the players need to be more aware of how we can stop that momentum and stoppages are a perfect way because you don't have to play perfect footy. You know, if you're the worst side on the day, you can still get away with it and stoppages are key. So um, it's definitely something to watch against the Giants. For sure. We now move on to point six and, and this one comes down to the midfield roles for the max. So both Connor McDonald uh, and also Cam McKenzie. So both of them, when they were drafted, were drafted as these midfielders uh, who were very silky in terms of their skills and ability. Now, C-Mac at the moment, he's currently playing in that half-forward purgatory. So he's trying his best to, to get involved. And I think on the weekend, uh, he had 15 touches, kicked three behind. So he's, he's trying to make the most of these small opportunities he gets. And obviously, if he kicked, you know, three goals, we'd be sitting there going, wow, he's, he's doing a great job in terms of that half-forward role. But we had 28 centre bounces in the game. C-Mac attended one. Surely in that yeah. third and fourth quarter when the game was gone, we give him an opportunity to actually get in there as that midfielder because last season, when he went back to Box Hill, he was given a game as a pure midfielder and the time, class and skill that he possessed was absolutely phenomenal. So it'd be great to see him getting a, a bit more time in terms of that, that centre bounce. And then the same as Frenchie. Against Essendon in round one, he attended, I think, at least five or six centre bounces, got a few centre bounce clearances, and we all thought, wow, how good is this young kid? He looks absolutely terrific. On the weekend, he had two clearances, both from stoppages, and he attended two centre bounces. So out of the 28, he attended two. Surely... Yeah it's a perfect opportunity against the reigning premiers. And by that stage, the game was well and truly gone. Give him an opportunity. 
these young kids put them in there, youthful exuberance. They don't, they don't know any better. They put in the effort. Yeah. They put in the effort. They'll give it a go. And what we were trying wasn't working. So I'm not sure what Connor McDonald and, and Frenchie have done, but you know, combined, they attended three centre bounces. Surely, yeah. surely that's something that we, we can look at because it wasn't working with warps in there. When we put Duke in there, it wasn't working. Daisy was, was probably the only one in that midfield who was able to look really good at those centre center bounces. And I think it's something to, for us to look forward to, especially now with Daisy not there for possibly one or two weeks, depending on if the club appeals or not, is to give yeah. Connor McDonald, give C-Mac, give Frenchie more opportunities at these centre bounces because the only way they're going to learn is by having those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Cam McKenzie is is a really interesting case because I've just had a look through your centre bounce attendances from the first four weeks while you've been talking. And in round one against Essendon, he attended 16 centre bounces. So massive number. Um, against Sydney, it dropped down to six. Against North Melbourne, it dropped down to four. And then as you said, on Easter Monday, it was two. So he has consistently dropped down in center bounce attendances and going off what he did against Essendon, it's puzzling as to why. And I absolutely agree with your call about Connor McDonald. And it's, he has played the half forward role really well when the team has been going well. And that is because when you're getting smacked, a high half forward becomes genuinely irrelevant in the terms of the shape of the ground and what he can do. And you could see he was trying too hard on the weekend. Like he, he did end up getting a possession. I believe it was in that third quarter. It was our only inside 50 of the third quarter, sadly enough. And he was streaming down the members wing and he had three players and he tried to kick the hardest kick and he missed and he hit the one Geelong defender in the forward 50. And it sort of summed up his day because he tried to just do too much. He, he wasn't getting his hands on the ball. He was struggling. He had his chance and he thought, this is my time to do something. And he missed. And those are the sort of mistakes you make when you're trying too hard because you know you're struggling. You know the team's struggling. You know your opportunities are vast, are scarce. Sorry, not vast, they're scarce. So you make these mistakes. And um, I think it, for the grand scheme of Hawthorne moving forward, Connor McDonald and Cam McKenzie are two players you want playing a lot of midfield time in really good teams. So while we're losing now, let's get them the experience. I totally agree with you. And they're both, you know, usually incredible kicks. I know on the weekend, Frenchie only went at 50% in terms of his disposal efficiency. Uh, and then with C-Mac, as you were saying, that, that one inside 50 we had, I think he had Bruce leading to the pocket and he, yep. uh, he tried to kick it 75 metres on the run. Uh, unfortunately, mm. you know, I think it went about 45 and hit Asava Radigalia on the chest. Yeah. And that's the outside sort of... of his right foot. A, nearly an impossible kick. Like yeah. genuinely, you could try it 100 times. You may get it close once, but it is nearly an impossible kick. Yeah. And as, as you said, it was all about the effort. He was trying to put in the effort, but it was too much. Uh, effort because he was trying to make the most of those, you know, very scarce opportunities that he had. So that brings us to the end of our six points. 
on Wednesday night, as we were saying before, please jump onto YouTube or our Facebook to have a look at our live stream where we'll continue to dissect the Easter Monday clash against the Cats before moving on to the game against the Giants this week. We'll obviously have more news by that stage about Will Day uh, in terms of whether or not the club is going to be contesting that one. We'll look at who might come in from the Box Hill game. We'll have a look at the Box Hill game and how well Box Hill played against the Geelong VFL team. I imagine the the boys on Wednesday night will also cover a bit about the VFLW team from Box Hill that's currently sitting on top of the ladder, which is fantastic as well. Please make sure to like and subscribe to us on Twitter, our Facebook, and also our Instagram and if you are listening to this podcast, please make sure to give us a five-star review and a rating so that we can help other Hawthorne supporters to engage with the Talking Hawks content. So this has been the Talking Hawks six points for the round four clash against the Cats. And until next time, go the Hawks.